Hello everyone, Matt here and welcome once again to Looking Back at Lost, where each week I look at another episode of ABC's Lost to see how that episode fits into the series as a whole. Today I'll be looking at episode 512 entitled Dead is Dead. This is the 98th episode of the series and there are 23 to go. A quick feedback reminder if you'd like to share feedback and thoughts about the podcast, about the series, or just about anything that comes to mind, you can always say hello to me on Twitter, where I am Looking Back Lost. Send an email to lookingbackatlost at gmail.com. Leave a comment on the webpage, lookingbackatlost.podbean.com. And last but not least, you can leave a message on the Google Voice listener line 732-707-1815. With that, let's jump into the Wikipedia summary for Dead is Dead. In flashbacks, we start in 1988 when Ben kidnaps Alex as a baby from her mother Danielle, whose life he spares. Before leaving, Ben tells Rousseau to run in the other direction if she hears whispers. He returns to the other's camp with the baby, which disappoints their leader, Charles Widmore, who wants Ben to kill both mother and daughter. Sometime later, Charles is banished from the island for breaking the rules by leaving the island frequently and fathering a daughter with an outsider. Before he leaves the island in a submarine, Charles tells Ben that Ben will ultimately be banished as well because he was unable to sacrifice Alex's life. Following Alex's death and his leaving the island, Ben confronts Penny Widmore, Charles's daughter, and shoots her husband Desmond. Ben states his intention to kill Penny in retribution for his own daughter's death, but hesitates upon seeing Penny's son. Ben's hesitation allows Desmond to recover and severely beat him. In 2007, following the final scene of the previous episode, Whatever Happened Happened, Ben Linus wakes up after having been knocked unconscious by Sun in the episode Namaste. He's greeted by, apparently, John Locke, whom Ben previously murdered. Ben tells Locke that he, Ben, has broken the rules by returning to the island after he left in the episode There's No Place Like Home, and that he must be judged by the smoke monster. Locke agrees to accompany him to the main island, before leaving, Ben retrieves a picture of his adopted daughter, Alex, from his old office in the Hydra station. Ben also tricks one of the other survivors from a Jira Flight 316, Caesar, and steals his shotgun. When Ben and Locke try to leave the smaller island in a canoe, they are halted by Caesar, whom Ben suddenly shoots in the chest. Upon arriving back in the main island, Ben and Locke travel to the Dharma Initiative's barracks, where they find Sun and pilot Frank Lapidus. Sun shows him the photograph of Jack, Kate, and Hurley, who have traveled back in time to 1977 and joined the Dharma Initiative. Sun also tells Ben that Christian Shepherd instructed her to wait for Locke because they were able to reach others from the past. 
Frank decides to return to the smaller island where he is taken hostage by Alana and several other 316 survivors who ask him if he knows what lies in the shadow of the statue. Meanwhile, Ben, Locke, and Sun travel to a temple belonging to the island's native population. Underneath the temple, Ben is separated from Locke and confronted by the smoke monster, which replays several of Ben's memories of Alex. The smoke dissipates and the manifestation of Alex appears to Ben, telling him that she knows his intention to kill Locke again. She warns him to follow Locke's lead without question if he wishes to live. Ben agrees, and his life is spared. And with that, let's now get into my thoughts about the episode. It of course starts with a short recap of young Ben being shot and taken by the others. Then, for first-time viewers, there's this curious twist of uh, Kimi killing Alex. And uh, then after the review of Smokey Locke seeing adult Ben sleeping, the episode proper starts with a very, very convincing middle-aged Widmore questioning Richard's saving of Ben, a saving which has occurred off-screen between last week's episode and this. Uh, I suspect that it's done off-screen for reasons, uh, the this being uh, Ben saving. Uh, I suspect that it's been done for both uh, purposes of mystery, which is to say, presumably, we get to save uh, the exact nature of the technique uh, until we need to see it uh, used with Saeed or used similarly with Saeed in season six. Uh, and there's also this sort of aspect of economical writing. Why, why see it when we can just say that it, uh, it has been done? Uh, at this point, as the shaggy-haired Widmore talks to Ben, it really is a great moment to reflect on the casting of that actor. He looks a lot like Widmore. And although they, they hold off for a few minutes for that shocking reveal that it, you know his name is indeed Charles Widmore uh, until their, uh, their talk wraps up, it's just uh, it, it's really, really good uh, casting. He looks enough like Widmore that you can start to suspect that's who it is, but it, you know, on the flip side, it's not Alan Dale in a wig, as we will see later in the episode for some of the chronologically later scenes. With that, we flash forward to adult Ben waking up to, presumably, Locke. Smokey's first words here, welcome to the land of the living. This is the first of many, many, many ironic statements, moments, etc. that Smokey Locke, um, (laughs) Smokey Locke seems to relish in in this episode and, and things that we'll certainly discuss as the episode goes on. Even within this scene, there's just added, added irony. Uh, we have uh, uh, Locke, who, of course, as I said before, Smokey Locke, Locke, Smokey, I'll, I'll call him by all three. Uh, he's asked, you're alive? And uh, his answer is, uh, you know, indeed he is. Of course he's alive. But of course he has not been asked who he is. Um, and then just adding to the irony is the hook at the end of the act. Ben has returned to be judged by the nameless thing that the survivors of 815 call the monster. And what does that monster do? He grins and grins and grins. For with that, we're going to let the games begin. This is, of course, said to Smokey Locke that, that uh, you know, it's what you survivors would call the monster. Ben is naming the monster to the monster. Anyhow, with that, we get the title card. And the story vaguely points out that there's a very large, very heavy 
man-sized box that Alana and company are looking to transport around. It's a tightrope moment. We see the box, but we don't register the box. We know it's there. It's enough to say, oh, there's a box, um, but not enough for us to ponder, quite frankly, the size, that it is coffin-sized. And the effect, or lack thereof, is compounded by the story quickly skirting away from that box, that everlasting J.J. mystery box, they, but they skirt away from it so fast that it's one of those things that, of course, we should have paid more attention to as first-time viewers. At any rate, Ben and Caesar start to talk about Locke, who Ben claims he could not have killed since Locke is alive. Uh, another notion that you know it flies in the face of what our eyes have seen. We know this is not true. Time and time again in this episode, Quite frankly, in my rewatch, I was surprised that I didn't see uh, the, the, the lock smoky connection revealed earlier. Maybe it was out there in the, the rumor world, as I've mentioned before. Um, somewhere around season three, toward the end of season three, season beginning of season four, something like that, is when I started to spend a little bit less time uh, or I should actually say increasingly less time, uh, kind of hooked into the Lost Rumor community. I think the fact that um, you know the shorter seasons meant much more time away from Lost. Also, you know things in the real world were, were drawing my attention away. Uh, so I, I don't know if, if um, this was a very popular theory that Locke was smoky. Um, I certainly would be interested to hear, dear listeners, what your thoughts were the first time uh, you were seeing these episodes, whether it was uh, when they were originally airing or on your own. Um, for me, no way I saw it coming. Absolutely no way. Despite the fact, as I've said, it's chock full in this episode. If we just sit down and say the episode is called Dead is Dead, we'll have that dialogue presented to us uh, later in the episode. We saw Locke die. Ben is saying that the island does not bring people back to life. Whatever happened, happened. There is no erasing of the past, even though that episode title, of course, comes from last week and was a bit more in the time travel sense. But it's all there, especially in this episode. And for me, for my part, did not see it, did not see it coming. But now we can see it everywhere in this episode. Anyway, um... Ben, at this point, still talking to Caesar, he starts to plant his little Ben seeds by affirming that, you know, Locke might not have been on the plane. And perhaps, you know, just maybe he was, get this, already in the island? If such a thing can be imagined by we old Ben, that the idea that people already on the island might be acting as plants. The effect is what he desired. Caesar states his allegiance to Ben. I would argue, too, that there's a secondary effect, which is we get to, you know, it's it's literally the magician trick of, you know, don't look at the box. Look at my what my hands are doing over here. It's the writers saying, don't think about what could be in that silver box because we don't really want to spoil the mystery. Uh, now we're going to have Ben do his mumbo jumbo and we're going to say, oh, Ben, the great villain, Ben, the great mastermind, behold. When, of course, this episode is so, so, so much about Ben not being the mastermind, Ben being being used. Uh, this is where it starts here. 
It ends with his swearing of allegiance to Smokey, although he doesn't know it. Uh, anyhow, with all this uh, done forth, done forth, done with, how about that? Uh, we flash back to longer haired, also known as poorly wigged, Ben hanging out with happy talkative Ethan. We, of course, know it's Ethan because Ben says, shush, Ethan. See how those writers explain things for us. Now, a bit of time figuring would have us predict what happens next, I think. The wreckage is that of Danielle, who now has Alex in tow, and Ben promptly takes baby Alex. Now, I have to admit, you know, there's so much Alex in this episode, this is the time to show it. But nonetheless, it's a slightly anticlimactic scene. We already know the heart of the matter. Ben steals the baby from her natural mother. So there's not particularly any shock to it. Um, it just kind of feels like, well, now we've seen it. You know, we have we saw Danielle shortly after arriving at the island. We saw what happened to uh, Montand and all her other, you know, Frenchy folk. Uh, guess she has to give birth to the baby and get the baby taken away. Well, the, the birth we can imagine, and here's the baby taken away. It's kind of checking it off the list as opposed to any real dramatic purpose to it. Aside from the fact that, yes, this is the beginning of Ben's bond to his daughter, uh, so on and so forth. But it just there's some there's something lacking in the scene. Anyhow, flashback over. Ben is going through his old desk to nick a picture of him and Alex, just as Smokey Locke shows up. Now, perhaps this is the origin of Smokey knowing to play the daughter angle later uh, by spying that picture for a moment. We do also, of course, have, of course, when Ben, uh, towards the end of the episode, is down in that uh, Egyptian subterranean lair. Uh, we, we do have the proper brain scan going on by Smokey, but I suppose he can use information from multiple sources. At this point, they address the elephant in the room that Ben killed Locke. And notice that as Ben justifies it all, he is almost forced to recount the story of Locke's end. This is something that Smokey completely takes in, listens, and puts together to be able to use. It was the only way to get you back to the island, along with as many of those who left as possible. You do remember, John, it's why you left in the first place, to convince him to come back. But you failed. And the only way to bring them together was by your death. And you understood that. It's why you were about to kill yourself when I stopped you. If all I had to do was die, Ben, then why did you stop me? You had critical information that would have died with you. And once you'd given it to me... Well, I just didn't have time to talk you back into hanging yourself. So I took a shortcut. And look at you, John. I was right. You're here, you're back. So are the rest of them. I don't know where yet exactly, but they came. It worked. And that's why I did it. Because it was in the best interest of the island. I was just hoping for an apology. In this scene, I don't know how Terry O'Quinn comes across as slightly disingenuine without tipping his hand. But he is able to achieve it. It really is remarkable. Uh, he listens to Ben with this hollowed-out look in his eyes. He counsels Ben to go atone to the monster. 
and grins ever so slightly in the in-joke. It's all there. It's all clear that he's the smoke monster. The one catches that you just have to know it already. It it makes me think back to a question I had posed, um, oh, four or five, six episodes ago. When did Terry O'Quinn know? Again, maybe it's as maybe it was as clear in the script as uh, Locke appears disingenuous. Locke appears bored. Locke, you know, grins here. Locke you know, intonates there. Perhaps it was all in the script, and Terry O'Quinn is just, you know, acting close to the script, but bottom line, it's 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 there in front of us. It's so obvious, it's just taken this second viewing. Anyhow, the next day, at least presumably, uh, Locke and Ben are taking an outrigger to the main island when uh, kind of Papa in charge of sorts Caesar shows up to lay down the law. He, uh, you know, kind of connects with Ben's puppy dog eyes of Ben suggesting, Locke is making me go. It feels slightly uh, incongruous, but only so far as Ben is setting Caesar up, no longer needing that protection now that he's team Locke. Caesar reaches for his shotgun, which Ben has somehow, not quite clear on when that switcheroo happened i I don't doubt that ben could do it would have been nice if we saw it somehow anyhow shotgun nicked uh there's a spectacular blast and after that we have a stuntman sent flying backwards into the the sand and ben has stated his apology he's chosen a side with that they're off to cross the water over the act break little unsure by the way why so much attention is given to Caesar if he's killed off so quickly. I don't know if it's just one of those things where they had plans and then decided not to go there. Uh, Caesar versus Alana. I'll take more Alana scenes, which of course we have plenty of ahead of us, but just uh, no answer there, just the question. Anyhow, uh, after the act break, they're paddling up to the dock. The boring part of the ride across the, the, you know, the, the ocean is something that's been conveniently left out. Anyhow, with that, they discuss Ben's injuries again with the uh, the key word of the episode with great irony. Is she the one that hurts your arm? Noticed you were favoring it on the way over. No. Someone else hurt my arm. You just make friends everywhere you go, don't you? Well, I've found sometimes that friends can be significantly more dangerous than enemies, John fantastic little moment and the headline is of course ben is talking about the danger presented by trusting friends too much ben is saying this to a friend that he is woefully amazingly shockingly trusting too much i think lost in the fine print intentionally is that we still at this point don't know the reason that ben is so terribly beat up we of course don't know it yet what happened to Desmond and Penny and their pure love is still up in the air. For those of us playing along at home as first-time viewers, uh, it's also a nice little um, tip of the hand, a uh, nice little bit of foreshadowing, because, of course, that will be addressed in this episode. Anyhow, the conversation then turns to where they're going, Ben's house, so that he can summon the monster. The show is now presented with the challenge to pull out a Hey, there's Superman. Where'd Clark go? Series of moments. 
And it's helped along by uh, just a little bit by Smokey, who suggests that Ben actually wants to atone for the death of his daughter. I think he's suggesting this because it's all the better to manipulate him. And of course, just when we're reminded that Ben was an awful father in the end, we flash back to him and young Ethan and uh, even younger Alex as they are returning to other Base Camp One, where adult Widmore, now played indeed by Alan Dale in a wig and apparently no further attempt to D-line his face, uh, which I think would be kind of easy. You just kind of put some tape behind the cheeks and pull back a bit. Not that Alan Dale is, you know, a hideous old man, but, well, this is supposed to be, what, baby Alex? She was 16 16 years ago. We can't de-wrinkle that face a bit. Anyhow, uh, Whitmore is incredulous that Ben has killed neither Danielle nor Alex. Here, Ben sings with uh, just decent purity. He refuses to kill Alex. He asks the question in front of everyone, is this what Jacob wants, to kill a baby, to kill an innocent, crazy woman? And pulls a near King Solomon by daring Widmore to kill the baby if Widmore wants that deed done. It's just... Is it Ben at his height? Maybe. It's Ben wonderfully presented it's been it must be ben at his height they're really i mean it's it's him <laughs> being so genuine so noble and so so generous it's uh it is ben at his best anyhow as widmore walks away there's an emotionless look from richard but the intent is clear richard is impressed and now has been almost on that who's who in othersville list that richard <laughs> seems to keep uh say that a bit tongue-in-cheek of course but i i do just get the impression uh that this is i mean richard knows ben is special to to some degree but i really get the sense that this is when richard goes oh somebody other than widmore okay somebody who's not going to cause the trouble that widmore causes anyhow flashback over smoky teases ben again done so gently that it seems like harmless exposition about how islandly it is to live in the dharma houses ben's response is that the apparent lock has no idea what the island wants here terry o'quinn almost overdoes it but he doesn't he asks if ben is really sure of of what the island wants while widening his eyes it's smoky being sarcastic and mean and it's just it's just so there. How did I miss it back then? Anyhow, with that, a light appears in Ben's house, Alex's room to be exact, and a shadow walks by. Locke suggests that Ben go check it out, and the implication being to do it uh, alone. It's a go-ahead, Lois, I'll catch up kind of moment, to continue the Superman metaphor. And if you're wondering how Smokey can possibly be in two places at once, Well, he isn't. It's sun in Alex's room. And the shocker of the light turning on is clear. Just kind of dumb luck. Or is it? Sun, then Frank, share with Ben uh, the 1977 Dharma picture. And she explains that the crazy old Christian told them to wait right there for John Locke. It clearly is smoky moving pieces around for the sake of Ben or for the sake of the effect he's looking for from Ben. 
he is, Smokey is, pulling a Ben on Ben. Uh, with that, they proclaim, Son and uh, Frank do, that, it, that it's near impossible to see Deadlock again. And Ben has him look out the window. The next shot is almost a, a horror movie-esque reveal. Lock in the shadows, a man in black, if you will, plainly watching from afar. He waves hello with no emotion on his face. I think to only heighten kind of the, the surreal, the creepy, and the act ends. After the break, Sun thinks that Locke has just semi-explained how he's not dead. Sun declares it as impossible. In an episode called Dead is Dead, Sun is declaring that it's impossible for him to not be dead. At times, again, I think that my family and I must have been the only people who didn't see the presence of Smokey Locke from, from early on. Anyhow, there's some transitional dialogue from Lapidus that only serves to have Sun repeat uh, what she, that she's going to stay on the island. And with that, Frank walks out, having served his purpose. Pity. It's always so nice having Frank in the scene, but at least we get more of him later in the episode. Anyhow, Sun is ready to leave, but Smokey finger wags at Ben in order to encourage him to go down that secret smoky passage to go atone for his sins. With that, we have just a wonderful camera move. Ben crawling toward the camera through the tunnel. The camera's kind of tracking backwards as Ben makes his way through the tunnel, kind of crouching and sliding. Uh, and way in the background, there's the uh, the secret room, for lack of a better word, that, uh, that Ben uh, has used as the entrance to this uh, underground lair. Um, anyhow, Ben makes it to the secret twisty button that makes the water pool go away. Ben tells it, uh, I'll be outside. And with that, we flash to Ben, uh, pardon me, flash back to Ben pushing young Alex on a swing, the very picture of domestic bliss. Richard says that a mysterious he is leaving the island via sub, and Ben says quite simply that he must see him off. Him who? Came to say goodbye. No, you didn't. You came to gloat. No, don't act as if I wanted this. You brought this on yourself. Are you quite certain you want to do this, Benjamin? You left the island regularly. You had a daughter with an outsider. You broke the rules, Charles. And what makes you think you deserve to take what's mine? Because I won't be selfish. Because I'll sacrifice anything to protect this island. You wouldn't sacrifice Alex. You're the one who wanted her dead, Charles. Not the island. I hope you're right, Benjamin. Because if you aren't, and it is the island that wants her dead, she'll be dead. And one day, you'll be standing where I'm standing now. You'll be the one being banished. And then you'll finally realize that you cannot fight the inevitable. I'll be seeing you, boy. By the way, that is exposition working for the purposes of good. It only occurred to me hearing that clip again uh, that Ben's whole explanation of you're being banished because you had a daughter off the island and you left all the time. Uh, 
that's the only opportunity we get for that. And uh, it's it's just there in conversation. It's an entire scene or series of scenes. Widmore sneaking away, the romance with Eloise, Penny being born, so on and so forth. It, it's it, it's it could be an entire episode, but instead it's just um, there in the dialogue, neatly uh, neatly concluded with neatly uh, stated in our minds. And in addition to to the strength of that scene. It's unlike the taking of Alex, that that scene, because this one absolutely sells the central origin of the Widmore-Ben conflict. And it's almost a very um, affirming moment because it's something that, that takes us all the way back to the little edges of that conflict. Henry Gale's real balloon, or I guess rather the real Henry Gale's balloon, Widmore Industries, uh, the freighter, all of that comes back to this point. Now, yes, there was friction before that. We saw that when he brought Alex back. But I think this is the real moment. Yeah, I mean, this is the moment where Widmore is saying, you know, I'll get my revenge, Ben. Anyhow, flashback over. Ben leaves his house and Son is sitting on the porch. He asks where Locke, a.k.a. Clark, went. And Son says that he needed to step away to make a call in that phone booth. Well, not really, but of course you hopefully get what I mean. To the show's immense credit, they absolutely do not let us ponder Locke's absence. The story turns to Son having, quote, figured out that Ben lied when he said Locke was dead, and Ben needing, absolutely needing, to affirm that Locke indeed did die. You can feel Ben approaching the line to declare his unquestioned victory in the matter by sharing that he killed Locke. But of course, he has just enough restraint to not say that. He does, however, give us a very clear line that although the island can do those miraculous things for the sick, wait for it, dead is dead. It's yet another warning for first-time viewers that something is quite amiss with the apparent John Locke. Speaking of which, Ben uh, hears a sound in the forest and sends Sun inside because, in not so many words, the smoke monster is coming. And what appears? Locke, out of the woods. It's an amusing anticlimax for first-time viewers, but it's absolutely once again an indication for repeat viewers that Ben's instincts are wonderful and spot-on. With that, the irony continues to roll. Smokey Locke says that they'll have to go do it uh, out elsewhere, and he knows where it is. With that... Shocking reveal, he knows where the smoke monster can be found. Meaning, he, you know, here comes his plan. The act ends. After the break, there's a brief bridging scene of Smokey Lock putting something together. It ends up being the torches. Uh, and talking about the strangeness of the situation, his having come back, quote-unquote, as Locke. Uh, then we flash back to Ben in very good shape. No cuts at all on his face, no arm in a sling, no arm being favored. Uh, and he's talking to Widmore on the phone about how today is the day he's returning to the island. I think that even the dullards watching for the first time must have been put on some sort of edge. Uh, you know, we've seen twice that Ben somehow gets badly beaten on this day. We saw him uh, making a harried phone call shortly after the mysterious it happened, and then a bit later when he gets on the plane. Uh, 
So what's going to happen? Well, another uh, another issue still on the table is, of course, the matter of Ben's revenge. We saw back in Widmore's uh, bedroom all those episodes ago, and that will now be attended to as well. The island won't let you come back, trust me. I spent almost 20 years trying to return. Well, Charles, where you failed, I'm going to succeed. Just as soon as I do one thing. And what's that, Benjamin? Kill your daughter. In fact, I'm looking at our mutual friend right now. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the name of the boat that Penny's on. Don't you dare. Goodbye, Charles. Of course, of course, they cut away from the action as we're being pulled dramatically towards that all-important scene. It is, of course, the essence of drama to the core, tension, building, and building. Anyhow, the apparently less important scene uh, is one that's meant to kick us back into John Locke turf. Locke affirming that he does know all the answers and how that must rile Ben. With that, they arrive at the wall outside the temple, a place that our season six memory can tell us is uh, not an easy place for Smokey to get into. But here, the writing is consistent. Smokey Locke plainly says that they're not going to the temple, which we're conveniently told is about half a mile away, but rather under the wall. Ben closes out the scene by asking Sun Two, if she ever gets off the island, apologize to Desmond. For what? Desmond will know. As we do now, he's, he'll know that uh, the apology is not for the killing of Penny, though for first-time viewers we wouldn't know the difference yet anyway. Hello, Penelope. My name is Benjamin Linus. I'm sorry that you're caught up in the middle of this thing, but your father... My father and I have absolutely no relationship whatsoever. Your father is so a whatever... really terrible human being. He's responsible for the killing of my daughter. That's why I'm here. Mommy! Charlie, go back inside, babe. Go back inside. Please. Please, whatever you do, don't hurt my son. Please don't hurt my son. Mommy? Mommy? Charlie, go inside! And with Desmond just about to deliver a savage beating, a truly savage beating, which of course is not the first time we've seen something like that for Ben, it all starts to feel a lot better, at least for us, not Ben. And although he's such a strong guy, the inspired image of Ben being thrown to the water as blood slowly pours out of his mouth and nose, it's just an absolutely effective scene. Of course, takes us to the, uh, to the act break, and after it, we have Frank arriving back on Hydra Island uh, with his fated plane, by the way, put nicely in the background. An anonymous redshirt says that Alana and company now have guns and are in charge. Lapidus gets asked twice what lies in the shadow of the statue, which is a lovely bit of Lost-esque writing that both lets us, the audience, have zero idea as to what's going on, but jogs the memory as to that pesky uh, statue that we've seen uh, a number of times, and, and most prominently, of course, at 
the end of the first season. Uh, along with, coincidentally or not, and I would vote for not, the nice little reminder that we got during the time-hopping story. Uh, with that, we move back to Ben and Smokey, walking through the subterranean kind of pyramid-esque twists and turns. I, of course, don't mean triangle-shaped. I mean kind of sort of looking like the interior of a pyramid, uh, as it should, given all the Egyptian uh, iconography that we'll see in a bit. Um, it is, of course, somewhat familiar to us, uh, at least that crack in the wall. It's a place that we've seen in smoky territory uh, from the fact that those Frenchmen died there. Ben sets himself up for the where's Clark moment as he tells Locke to leave him, and it's hammered home when Ben falls down a level and Locke, quote, leaves to find something to help him with. This is just in time for Smokey to hop into that phone booth, open his shirt, and change. Now Ben is properly in the room where we very clearly have the iconography that is so suggestive of the Egyptians, all leading us towards a raised platform with holes in it, holes that end up exuding a black, familiar smoke. was it I was supposed to do? Kill it. It's not a gift. This is a child. Smokey is far worse and prepared to make a pawn out of Ben. Daddy? Alex. Hi, Dad. Oh, Alex. I'm so, so sorry. planning to kill John again. And I want you to know that if you so much as touch him, 
I will hunt you down and destroy you. You will listen to every word John Locke says, and you will follow his every order. Do you understand? Say it! Say you'll follow him! Yes, I will follow him, I swear. With that, Ben has been given his marching orders. Just in time for old Clark Kent to arrive to hear what he wanted to hear. That the hook has been set. Ben? What happened? It let me live. Now, I will admit that that's not the most amazing of endings, but it continues this pattern that season five uh, seems to have of, you know, endings that just, um, I don't know, aren't that big wow, but rather just propel us towards next week. Now, that said, this is the first season of fully enjoying continuous production and airing of episodes, so the fact that the episode doesn't you know, blow one socks off. I think it's a minor quibble that, you know, ultimately, once again, it, it, it achieves the effect of pulling us to next week. Uh, maybe without that standard pizzazz, but certainly just with the, the strength of the writing, the characters, and the story that we are so uh, invested into. Anyhow, with that, let's take a look at Lostpedia for the bits and pieces I have missed. And this was uh, quite a quite a rich uh you know, journey over to Lostpedia. Let's start with the fact that Ben's house was in the same state as it was the last time he was inside when the mercenaries attacked, including the Risk game Locke, Sawyer, and Hurley were playing, still out on the table. Also from Lostpedia, uh, only four main cast members, uh, Desmond, Ben, Son, and Locke, appear with speaking lines in this episode, the fewest of any up until Across the Sea, which, of course, featured no uh, main characters uh, in new footage. Also from Lostpedia, for the third time in the series, only two of the original 14 main cast members appear, Sun and Locke. The other instances were the Constant, with only Saeed and Jack appearing, and Jughead, in which only Locke and Sawyer appear. Penultimately, there's a deleted scene from I Do, which is shown uh, during the scene in which Ben is judged by the monster. The scene involved Alex getting into an argument with Ben over Carl and resulted in Alex saying, I hate your guts. And we finally get to see that in this episode. Last but not least, even though this episode is a least in, uh, in a certain sense, quite unfortunately, with 8.56 million viewers, this was the least watched, the lowest rated episode of Lost on ABC. The episode had almost 15 million fewer viewers than Man of Science, Man of Faith, the highest rated episode. I don't know why this is the lowest rated episode. It's, it's quite good. Perhaps it speaks to last week's episode, but which nonetheless was good. Um, you know, uh, after the uh, season four, the ratings go down. Season five, the ratings are down a bit. They recover some. You know, I think it's also we're 
smack dab in the middle of this um, this shift where it's possible you have some very hardcore fans who merely are waiting for the end of the season to come and to be able to watch it on DVD or iTunes. You know, in, in a in a more modern uh, explanation, it would be you know to wait for the season to to show up on Netflix. Um, it's caught up in the middle of that viewing. I don't think that uh, drastically many people were you know quitting on Lost during season five, but. Um, well, it's, it's that antiquated ratings system that we've talked about before. Now, at this point in the podcast, I'll mention that I actually had recorded the this entire podcast completely yesterday. And basically, as soon as I got done with it, I saw that there was a fantastic email about this episode, 512 Dead is Dead, uh, sent to me by Tim, I think literally, literally as I was wrapping it up. So I've come back to the microphone a few hours before uh for this episode is uh, meant to hit the uh, hit the internet, and uh, I wanted to share uh, Tim's wonderful email about this episode, an episode that Tim notes, of course, uh, Emerson won an Emmy for. So with that, uh, here's some of uh, some of the thoughts that Tim had. He says, "I love the format of this particular episode. It jumped all over the place, flashing back to several points in Ben's life, rounding out all the important questions: his relationship to Widmore, Alex, and Rousseau." We even got to see him attempt to kill Penny. Wonderful stuff. I also loved how this episode subtly answered seemingly unimportant questions. For example, last season, Ben asked Kimi if Widmore asked Kimi to kill Alex. I think we can assume that he did from the events of this episode. And most obvious are when, uh, are when we are unsure when Ben is telling the truth or not. Here, we definitely see the downward journey of Ben Linus. It is clearly obvious when he's lying and when he's not. Tim goes on to say that it was an interesting thing to see how Ben and Widmore used their position as a leader to manipulate the island's motivations to their ends, which I think, Tim, is an excellent point. He goes on to say uh, that they justify it by saying it's the island's will, kind of like how some folks used to justify the Crusades as what God wanted, and it really wasn't. Tim starts to wrap up by saying another performance worth noting is that of Terry O'Quinn. On the rewatch, we now know that it is indeed not Locke walking around the island, but the smoke monster. Seeing this version of Locke constantly gain the upper hand on Ben and his lies is truly refreshing. Which I'll pause Tim's commentary for a moment just to say, I don't know that I would have put the word refreshing there, but I think he's absolutely right uh, in retrospect. Um, <laughs> I know I, I made reference in the podcast to saying, you know, that Smokey is pulling a Ben on Ben, but it is nice to see that Smokey's doing that. It's a nice change of pace, especially now that we can see it as such. Anyhow, Tim uh, continues to say, uh, now it is thought that Ben is judged by the smoke monster at the end of the episode, but really Smokey is constantly judging Ben on whether he should live or not. I think when Ben shot Caesar, I think Smokey saw he could use Ben to kill Jacob. I like how Smokey is manipulating everyone to orchestrate his master plan, which we see play out throughout the course of the final season. Uh, Tim, I completely love and agree with your analysis. Uh, the idea that um, Ben shooting Caesar is, uh, you know, is essentially Ben's entrance into the the cool guy club, as far as uh, the smoke monster sees it, I just think is absolutely spot on. That that then does make sense. Why is it that Caesar? 
is killed uh, when he is kind of seemingly so early uh, when he's a you know an interesting and uh, and uh, unique character. Well, it takes the death of such a character uh, at the hands of Ben to let Ben essentially live. Uh, last but not least, Tim wraps up by saying another stellar episode, and it definitely feels like a lot of setup for the finale, but it is so brilliantly written that it doesn't feel like setup. Lovely, lovely episode, concludes Tim. And you know what? I think he's he's absolutely right. It really is a great episode. It's an episode that deserves, I think you could say, more credit than it uh, normally gets just because, um, you know, it's the lowest rated episode. Meh, meh. Whereas um, it's just a fine episode. It's well written. I mean, yes, it has the little the little uh, concerns uh, that I've covered, but uh, you know, no episode is perfect ever, uh, particularly at the breakneck pace that uh, that television is produced. So, anyhow, thank you, Tim, for your very very timely email. I suppose that's uh, a reminder to uh, to all the listeners out there that you know you know the order that I'm doing these episodes. You know what episodes are next. So if you want to comment ahead of time, I generally won't, uh, you know, I, I won't get nitty gritty into looking uh, at an email before uh, about a particular episode before I've done the episode myself, just in order to, uh, you know, so my thoughts are mine and I'm not stealing from you. But um, certainly feel free to uh, to be ahead of me and I can uh, I can respond in time. Anyhow, let's look ahead to uh, two next week's episode 513, Some Like It Hoff. As we head closer and closer towards uh, some some excellent episodes, I, I'm these included. After that, we have the variable. We have follow the leader, and close out season five with the incident part one, and then five seventeen the incident part two. So with that, just a quick reminder: if you'd like to share feedback on Twitter, I'm looking back lost. You can send an email to looking back lost at gmail.com, web page looking back at lost.podbean.com, or Absolutely, you can call the listener line 732-707-1815. And I will talk to you all again next week, 4513, some like it huff. Take care, everybody, and bye-bye. <laughs>